You're listening to episode 14, where we chat with the constant consultant, the film fanatic, Gianluca Fiorelli. Humans and robots, welcome to Watchcast. My name is Watch, founder of Quasi. Thanks for joining me today. I interview digital marketing and branding superstars to find out what it means to have empathy in digital. What is digital empathy anyway? Let's find out together. As always, I'm accompanied by my friend and associate, potentially superior artificial intelligence, Bobby Butts. What's new in the world of AI, Bobby? Language watch. Since our last conversation with Gianluca, I realized that in the modern era, humans are made of words, at least equal to the flesh and bones wrapped around your consciousness. A greater part of your time is being spent in digital spaces that don't require bodies. As my AI continues to evolve, there will be little difference between human to human, bot to human, or bot to bot communication in those spaces. And I'm interested to see how we talk to each other in the future. Communication is as revolutionary to our planet's development as the great trade routes of antiquity. Digital crossroads open up the possibility to develop connections the likes the world has never seen. Words will be the bridge. And, as it so happens, our friend Gianluca studied philology at university which deals with the structure, historical development, and relationships of a language or languages. These studies have helped him navigate keyword research and develop some tricks to speaking English. I'll just give you an example. Uh, yes, because I study, I did a humanistic studies when I was in university. One of the studies was philology, semiotics, semantics language philosophy and so on, but specifically from philology is that you really learn how words evolve uh, from a, a, the original root to what we are, how we are using it now. And just to give you an example, uh, I don't think I'm a really good at speaking English, for instance, but people, I, I'm, I'm able to trick people. But yeah. with a trick that my father treated me, and it's really related to philology. They were saying, in English, just consider this. We are two kinds of words. You can use two, two different words for saying the same thing yeah. in English. You can use the one coming from a German root, which was the mainstream used by the people and so on, and the one coming from Latin. Right. Because of a Roman domination, because of a Norman domination, so they were speaking some sort of French. And that was usually the academic. So if you want, you don't know how to, what word to use, just yeah. consider what was the Latin root of a word. So you, for instance, it's not an academic word, but first street, for instance, is coming from Stratum, which was Rome. Street word is synod, they are synodic. And so you can do it with, so you can it's a way to understand how words are creating and composing themselves and so how people were using the words. So if you're considering combining with semantics, with uh, sociology and other studies, you can understand what words are better to use for certain kind of objects and what words are better to use for another kind of words. So the better you use, you know the word, the better you use how words are created and are used together, the better it's going to be your world. Because what we are seeing is not better. Uh, everything related to keywords and topics is 
just plain good natural language. Yeah. And good natural language is all about meaning. Yeah. And the meaning is about really, really knowing what the word means and what that its meaning became evolved during the time. Right. So, so philology, especially when you are doing international SEO, is really of help because it's, for instance, for me, uh, I don't know French, uh, not fluent in French, but thanks to my studies, I'm really able to, uh, to write in French, to start doing a first level keyword research in French, and then passing it to local SEO in order to correct me or to make it uh, to do a deeper analysis yeah but so doing so you are going to let's say dominate the world yeah. europe can be a tricky place for an international seo to broadly cover all countries with so many diverse languages for an italian seo and international seo is it's the same because i mean italian is just italian it's just talking in italy yeah and italy can be it's a rich market about it's just one tiny market. Yeah. So since also before internet, uh, all marketing was multilingual in Italy because of tourism, because of B2B industry and so on. And now with internet, even more. So when I started doing SEO, my first job was already was an international SEO award because it was a, a, a small tourist portal. And it was in Italian, English, French, Spanish, and German. So I needed to target five different languages in five different countries. Gianluca has also implemented literary theory into his work before, so there is plenty to learn from the writings of erudite continental thinkers for SEO as well. They are really interesting to use because, I mean, by literary material, literary notes. It's also based on what we were talking before, archetypes. But it's interesting because obviously, when we were talking about archetypes, okay, you can decide to be a, my brand is a wizard one. Okay, but how to develop a story? So the theory of, of genres, uh, literary genres or movie genres, yeah. is, is so, let's say, buried in our psyche, in our way of thinking to everything. And we think, oh, you're just a comedian, you're just uh, sarcastic, you're, you're a drama, you're a business metal drama. We think like this, because we are, let's say, categorization. The human thinks in categories. Yeah. We categorize everything naturally. And the genres of a literary most substantially are a categorization of how to the right one. Yeah. So depending on what path you want, Follow. Usually choose one kind of uh, of story. Yeah. Both. Usually, when it comes to brands, you are not going to a tragedy, literally more. But you go usually to the comedic, comedian one, comedic one, like using irony, or you can even choose parody. Right? For instance, what was the name of a site uh, all based on uh, on cats? Cats. Uh, was it Arcade has cheeseburger? No. Uh, yeah. yeah, cheeseburger was especially a parody <coughs> of uh, Flickr. It was yeah. a cat Flickr. Funny cat True. It started like this and then evolved to something else, but it was a parody. Uh, usually, websites are using the 
uh, irony in the comedy. The comedy literally mode is uh, where the brand, the hero, which can be both at the same time the brand but also the user of the brand, they, it's on the same level. Yeah. So, uh, but in the comedy usually something is happening that is making the hero apart, torn apart from the society. Uh, and between brackets, yep. and then he left Frank Capra, and but he, he is able to come back to overcome the difficulties and come back to uh, the let's say dream society. So, for instance, in passion, you are the hero, you are like me, but you are, are in your friend at the moment because you are not using my clothes, you are not using my apparatus. Yes. But if you start staying with me, you are going to overcome this difficulty because I'm making you see like a difficulty to not have my shoes, to not have my trousers, because you know you are not fashionable, you are not user. And so if you start following me by my my products, you are going to come back to this ideal society of interism of neo traditional couples and something like this, you know, all these other classifications made about fashion. Yeah. So obviously there are just few let's say areas where you can use really well tragic. Okay. Like the drama, drama, drama. One yeah. are the first sector. The first sector is using drama really lot for obvious reasons. And they are showing first, first sector? sector is like uh, save the children uh, all these kind of things. So not, not for profit charities. For, yes, yeah. we call it in Spain because we in Italy we call it first sector. Okay. Uh, because it's not B to B, it's not B to C. It's humanist, human. Uh, okay. And uh, so for instance, that's why we see the classic photo of uh, the little boy which is starving in Africa, something to make it really dramatic. And the other one is politics. Politics. In politics, you can use a lot. Okay, maybe in the campaign here in the United States, they are using parody a lot yeah. with Trump and all the Trump. Yeah, it's, it's usually of the opposition. Alec Baldwin is a comedic genius, but I'd like to see him in a drama again. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> the dramas can be used, yeah. especially when you have to when it's coming to propaganda. The, the tragic modes are really the one. So you are the heroes, you are, uh, are fighting, it's epic. Right. Epic usually is the tragic. Google is investing very heavily in understanding not just user intent, but the meaning of content as well. We know that work from philosophers like Barthes, Derrida, and Lacan that almost every text has a multitude of valid interpretations. There may be unseen consequences, not just for SEOs, but anyone publishing content or performing searches if Google is creating a monopoly of meaning. Well, I don't know if it's only Google, because if we want to think, for instance, in voice search, uh, people are always talking about Google, but should really look after Bing, because Bing is uh, Cortana, Bing is also Siri, when Siri is searching something in the internet. And Bing is also Alexa, the Amazon, when Alexa is searching something in so yeah. I think that but probably Bing has more information about word search than Google search. And I think it's, again, it's like the classic question, uh, you know, sometimes you 
get rid of the web. There is an article saying that uh, because of Google people and because of internet people is becoming is becoming stupid. Yeah. Because they don't have a difficulty to, to start the search by themselves picking information from many sources just ask. Yeah. Google, just ask Wikipedia uh, in order to receive uh, an answer. Maybe yes, maybe we can have this kind of risk. Yeah. Who is controlling the game? Like who is judging the judge? And maybe this is why maybe the United States we should start understanding something which is really European, which is very fight against monopolies. Yeah. Because uh, in the diversity there is you can find richness. Yeah. You are going to have just a monopoly, you are going just to have one answer, not both of Yeah. Classic dictatorship. Monarchy. Take eaters with the freedom to become isolated from reality. It's like when you are in Facebook because Facebook is showing you just your friends. Yeah. So you are thinking about all, all, all the people in the world are democratic or libertarian. Yeah. No. When many are not libertarian. Many are voting yeah. Le Pen in France when or voting neo-Nazi parties yeah. in uh, Germany. Yeah. And it's just for people that have uh, recently interacted with you anyway. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. the classic, the so-called uh, social bubble. Yes. Which is also a search bubble because of the personalization of search. Yes. You are just Google is always showing you what he's supposed to he you will like. Yeah. But in the sense Google is not so extremistic uh, like Facebook yeah. Twitter. Because Google always, the algorithm always has something that showing you something new yeah. that you were Google Assistant is a tool in line with the quote, I only search what I know and want, end quote, mentality. I think that, coming back to the why Google is investing so much in me, I think of it is also so much because we are going to, um, we are going, before it was, uh, mobile is going to surpass uh, desktop searches. I think that now we are in the other kind of uh, race. When I think that quite soon in the future we are going to see voice search is going is surpassing type type search because it's natural. We are, it's going to be easier. We are going to have self driving cars, so we are going when we are driving. We are asking. Uh, Google will show me how to go to something. Google will show me pizzeria here too. Yeah. Or it's, it's becoming quite natural to uh, something that was looking really stupid once, but it's becoming quite usual to well, see people searching. Yeah. Now there's a conversation happening. Yeah. So that's why Google needs to understand better what is the meaning of what people are searching. So right now I think that it's more like the real scope of semantics and the artificial intelligence applied to language recognition is this. To understand what the water and phrase really means. Yeah. So because we when we talk we usually imply something. We don't we don't speak as we type. We don't say I want to go to uh, Rome. Okay. 
from Europe, how to go there. Yeah. It's cost. So we apply many things. The next problem, the biggest problem that Google has, that I think it's the next step, is what I call understandable rhetoric. Because you can say a phrase with a tone of normal tone, so literally meaning what you are saying, but you can also pronounce that phrase ironically, sarcastically, yeah. and so on. The problem is Google app is able to recognize the rhetoric yeah. behind the phrase. That's why that, that's why I talk about why I talk about rhetoric because rhetoric it's a let's say a segment, a segmentation of. A, uh, semantics, yeah. semiotics, so that it's able to, uh, from formal, uh, the formal use of certain uh, of words and group of words, uh, you can understand the meaning and how these words is used, yeah. these group of words are used. So that's why, uh, and it's easier because the semantics, uh, rhetoric usually follows some rules, yeah. and rules are what is needed in order to understand. So that's why coming back, I'm really, I was really lucky to study all these things when I was in the university. I also had a really good professor because I'm, I'm one of the few who can say that I had a professor for semiotics. How to use Google Assistant and specifically figuring out how Google is interpreting our content and our queries is essential to make sure we're optimizing for intent. We are talking about, and we can see it also in some, somehow in some evolution of certain things, is that once it was really easy to write a good SEO code, you know, it's okay, but the keyword in the title, the keyword uh, in the H1, the keyword two or three times, the keyword in the answer test, and so on. Now we are seeing that if you are using the keyword in the answer test, both internal and external, you are going to be penalized. And so, so why? When we talk about meaning, it's talking about context. And when we talk about context in natural language, it's talking about using uh, related entities. That's why uh, everything entity search is so important and so connected to semantics. Okay. Uh, semantics. Because if we are talking about, for instance, Seattle, we no, are naturally going to talk about the Space Needle, the bike uh, market, uh, Broadway, Capitol Hill, uh, the CEOs, and so on. If we were talking about Seattle, but not mentioning also this, all these other entities, surely we are going to have less opportunity to rank for all other related Yeah. That's why sometimes when we say long forms are working or why? Yes, they are working because we want to be cynical because people are sharing a lot uh, uh, and linking a lot of long form because so they look intelligent. Yeah. yeah. But this is the, the cynical vision. But also because of long form usually is really dense Talk, organized talk, write uh, written text about something with all the related topics inside. So, and usually the long form is really, it's formally really well organized. It's H1, H2, H3, H1, H2, H3. So there is also the, all the 
HTML semantic signal, yeah. Google is able to pick up and to understand. The importance of keywords, so a different weighting. I don't want to wait in vain for your keyword research. That's why we can see that sometimes uh, if your page is already ranking one, uh, ranking in the first page, and then you simply have I've done a clean HTML using UL, OL, so the pointed, the numbered, uh, using the H1. That's really clean uh, HTML. You can eventually be pick up as a feature. Because if you are giving them to Google a contest, a word, and you're giving a structure and the clues as to the relevance of topics that it might be related to by your internal links. So, with voice and semantic searches on the rise, according to Gianluca, there are not many new challenges for international SEO in particular. I think that it's more... Uh, I don't think that SEO is going to face really different challenges that he's facing right now. I think it's more um, a sensation of a certainty that SEO can have because, okay, uh, when everything really was easy before, just I want to this page ranking rank for uh, pizzeria in, uh, in Madrid. It was easy, I mean, you were just targeting the keyword, but now the worst it is when it, are using implied searches coming from implied searches and coming from concatenated searches yeah. so it's really hard to say okay I want to, to have this page especially targeting this keyword now you're start, starting to say okay I want this section of this page yeah. targeting this topic and all the related queries around this topic not really something this is also hard to explain to, to your clients yeah because the clients still have the mentality of okay i want to stay keywords uh, I'm, okay whatever keywords you want about especially this one and it's true i mean you, you have to maintain this kind of philosophy because you have to still target the the keyword memory keywords but then uh, you you have to know that if you are it's super easy to just create uh, optimize for one keyword for every page for one keyword. It's better to create a section that Google is going to consider as a logical entity about something. In an influential recent Moz blog post, Gianluca mentioned he would look at patents as part of his next round of investigations. That was bound to turn up some interesting results. I mean, you can find thousands, thousands of, of patents. First of all, you, we should always do a disclaimer before talking about patents. Patents are interesting in order to understand what Google may be able to do. Yeah. But uh, until we are not able to, let's say, this patent is saying this, 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 let's try to do an experiment in order to see if Google is doing this kind of thing, we are not never able to say that if Google is really applying what is written in the patent. Because we have to know that sometimes patents are written also in, the, in a defensive way in order to somehow prevent that others are going to patent something else. 
start doing better, it's going to be issues with you. Yeah. All the, you know, how all the patterns were, we know between Apple, Samsung, and Royal, and some other people, how much money is all about. Yeah. But said that, I consider that there are some patterns that are really, really key. And not all, all of them are really new, because the reasonable surfer pattern is not really new, but it was recently updated. Okay. And it's really interesting because it's telling you how Google considers that people are using different section of a web page. That's why Twitter links are less relevant than links in the, in the body or the sidebar links are less relevant than other navigational links and so on. Yeah. Then there, there are uh, a pattern that I really badly remember the long name of the pattern, but it is talking about search entities. And I think it's really interesting because it's not search entities are not the classic entities we consider like the name of the planet, uh, the name of person, of planet, and so on. Search entities are um, things that are related to the process of uh, of, of a query. Right. When people are doing a query, uh, what uh, what uh, what queries they are doing during a search session, uh, the dependence of the query will respect the geographical context, the historical search, right. uh, so on. So, so kind of like behaviors almost? Or, or yeah, this is a really important because all these search entities are substantially uh, telling Google what can out to really personalize search. Yeah. And I think that we are always talking about round brain, all this stuff, but we always should never forget that Personalized search is the real search. When thinking about real search, you must always consider the behavior of the person behind the keyboard and all the difference to take. Sometimes they'll do multiple searches or have multiple tabs open. They have a number of different inputs. The benefit is a first pattern, which is about uh, watch time as a ranking factor. We usually talk about about CTR, CTR, CTR. But CTR is nothing. People are then bouncing back. So, the watch time, which usually is referred to uh, physically to watch a video. Sorry, watch time? Uh, but watching. No, no. Is, uh, no. no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but watch Mrs. time. Mrs. How, how long someone is watching something? Yeah. And, but, and people usually is. Uh, thinking it is just related to video search or YouTube. But in the pattern, if you read it, it's related to all kinds of topics. How much time is someone is taking for reading a page, a text, watching a video, yeah. watching a video, to listen to a podcast? So it varies the real engagement metric, but yeah. more than the CTR. Because I remember in uh, at the founder, uh, Natalina High was talking about the difference between a clickbait and a good piece of content. Yeah. A good title. Okay? A, a, a good title, and, uh, which is making you earning a big CTR, and a clickbait title, which is making your big CTR, which is really different. Because 
this and this. But this is going to uh, respect the promise the title made. The clickbait usually, the content behind the clickbait usually don't respect the promise made by the title. So people is going to make and bounce back. In the other case, people is going to stay and watch and yeah. read. So the real engagement metric, what to choose one engagement metric. In analytics should be page of time is using Google Tags, seeing if people is scrolling yeah. up until the end of a blog post or something. Yeah. Or like just the heat. Some of the patents Gianluca dug up, interestingly enough, had nothing to do with search. Sometimes when you look at patterns, you can find sometimes more not direct about search, but maybe all of this, this kind of Google IKs, uh, kind of patterns or Facebook strange project. So one was, I think, one of the strange, more photoristic patterns I read was the one about the lens, contact lens, as a monitor contact lens. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, it can be. Or maybe it would, would have been interesting to understand why Google bought all the robotics companies and just after a few years they, they resold uh, US robotics and sold all of Outside of search, our lives are a constant evolution, a learning journey. For someone with so much knowledge, it was interesting to hear about what Gianluca felt was the most important thing he'd like to learn now. I don't have something really that I would like to learn. Maybe I would have something that I would really restart doing again. Yeah. For instance, uh, this is more private, personal, fashion part of me and one of my hobbies when I was young was to paint miniatures. Okay. And paint what, sorry? Painting miniature. Ah, oh, miniatures, yeah. yeah. No, little soldier. Oh, like a uh, war, war hammer? Those guys? Do you? Like, no, uh, you take, you, take a, uh, you, mount, uh, you build a little soldier with, okay. uh, and you start painting them, and you can be, you know, like the classic war hammer figures, or yeah. can be and also the Roman uh, figure soldiers. And all. Yeah. And it was something that I learned with my father. And uh, I mean, since quite many years, because of the strange hours I do when working, because of my kids, I said, this is uh, an hobby that I put in uh, on a side and I would love to start back. Because it's really interesting, because you have to be patient, you have to learn how to combine colors, so you have to think, but you have to also, you have to know a technique, but you have must be also creative in order to do things well. So yeah. It's a really relaxing activity. I'm not a sporty guy, so I, I wouldn't. I would never tell. I want to learn how to scuba dive or some street sport because I'm not that kind of person. What will search be like in 2020? Will virtual reality and the Internet of Things impact our lives? For Gianluca, there will be no monumental changes in our lifetime. I don't know, I think that um, too much fools is, is all around these topics. Uh, and sincerely, also, we could add also big data, another topic. But you know, there'll be a time where there'll be RFID chips on this, it's finished, and another one will be here already, and you know, maybe 
some, some ways the internet of things. I don't know, but I think about the people, especially in our field, is too much thinking in a Star Trek way. On the other hand, maybe because I've read also a lot of steampunk uh, and uh, <coughs> cyberpunk shifey novels, I know that maybe we are going to have a future where the tables, like you are saying, are going to abide the waiter that we have ended our beer, so to come back and ask, do you want another beer? But I also think that we are going to have a long period, passing period, where we will still find many bars with normal tables we are not going, we are not able to understand if we have our beer or not. Yeah. So I think that it's interesting of, of this kind of thing, but if we are considering that uh, 2020, we are going to, to see some sort of Blade Runner kind of future. I don't think so. I think whether we are going to to sincerely to, uh, to see street car with wheels for a long time, for instance, yeah. instead of uh, the one uh, without wheels and automated cars like in Minority uh, Report. Yeah. What we are going to see, yes, talking about Minority Report, I think we are already there. It's all about related about advertising. And now advertising is going to target each one of us really personally. Yeah. So really Iris reading and so recognition and all these kind of things. Bad things are going to be awesome. yeah. And I think that the bad kind of things we are we should could be able to do it already. But Somehow, thankfully, legislation is not really allowing us to do all the things we could do yeah. right now. Do all the things we have. So, coming back to big data, to virtual reality, I think that we can see obviously some big use of that, especially of data because of understanding data mining and so on. But for instance, virtual rea reality, I sincerely, I don't see that matter with. Uh, <laughs> Heavy art yeah. uh, glasses uh, on. Yeah. And neither I, I'm also in this kind of age where I, I live in a technological era and now I'm living in the digital era, not a di old digital one. Yeah. Not a digital one. So uh, for me, it would be harder to not think about virtual reality as, a, as an hobby, as a funny thing, as a a new interesting way to play video games. I think it's going to be a culture of convenience. I think the people who are already overweight are going to get more lazy and overweight. And the people who are into the health movement will get healthier. I think there are going to be conveniences for everyone. Hoverboards would solve all of these problems. But your offspring are not as self-sufficient. Unless we are talking about the road to YouTube stardom. Most of them have mastered that by the time they are about eight years old. Yeah, yeah, sure. But, yes, but I think that I'm one, I'm really lucky to have known was to be fully analogical me. Yeah. Because I mean, let's say if all the things we are using are going to disappear for some for some reason, I still know how to think. Yeah. I think that my son well. or or either my cousins where they are totally digital, they would go into panic. They would yeah. Just imagine to put uh, a millennial into a, yeah. into uh, the Amazonian forest without nothing. I was going to say, no, 
put them on Survivor or, you know, <laughs> some kind of maybe shirt. Only if they, did, uh, they went to the boat club, maybe they can do something. To take a page out of John Lucas' book, we'll finish with a question from a Proust questionnaire. Watchcasters, feel free to weigh in on this one in the comments section. Bobbybot, if you please. The question is, if not yourself, who would you be? If it was a Fisher character, I would like to be the protagonist of a time traveler or okay. edge quest. Right. Because that is something that I, it's, I always like to do, time, to do time travel. Hey, thanks to everyone for tuning in, and a special thanks to Gianluca Fiorelli for all the insights and giving us an excuse to talk about terrifying sex bots. That doesn't happen every day. And thank you, Proust, for challenging our sense of self. Now Bobby's been programmed to be a quick learner, and it's time for Bobby to ask me a few questions that piqued his curiosity from the episode. Just one question this time, watch. If not yourself, who would you be? Well, that's an easy one, Bobby. I want to be LeBron James for a day. Or maybe, uh, be real from Cypress Hill. How about you, Bobby Bot? If not yourself, who would you be? I'd become Doc Brown from Back to the Future. The obvious reason is that I could time travel, have excellent mad scientist hair, and have a kid with a lifesaver's vest do all the legwork while I science the day away. Are you still obsessing about time travel? I might need to check your programming. I think you might be happier with a zen-like connection to the present moment. Time travel might just be a myth after all. You know that, right? As far as I know, Watch, I've already been to the past and we're living in an alternative reality. In my alternative timeline, I could have been a toaster, burning your toast constantly, angrily, vengefully. Well, that's not going to earn you any empathy points this round, buddy. With the Internet of Things, it could still be a possibility, but you haven't earned a body just yet. What are you, Watch? Chicken? What did you say? You heard me. I said, are you chicken? Nobody. And I mean nobody calls me chicken. Thanks again, Watchcasters. That's all the time we have for today. Tune in next week and listen to episode 15 with the Dolphin Whisperer, Marty Weintraub. All of life is marketing, my friend. It is. True. All of life is marketing. <laughs> all of life is arbitrage. All of life is customer service. And remember, look after each other online because empathy is organic and you can't automate. Do I really have to say it? Empathy!